Welcome to the Real Estate Espresso Podcast, your morning shot of what's new in the world of real estate investing. I'm your host, Victor Manesh. This is the weekend edition where we interview notable people from the world of real estate investing. Today is no exception. We have a great guest. But first, a quick thank you to our sponsor. The Real Estate Espresso Podcast is brought to you by International Coffee Farms. International Coffee Farms grows and sells specialty coffee in Boquete, Panama. They now have 11 fully operational coffee farms and they are 100% sold out. They are accepting reservations for farm number 12. The idea of owning a safe, diversified offshore investment is intriguing to you. Check out International Coffee Farms at internationalcoffeefarms.com. That's internationalcoffeefarms.com. We are back. We've got a great guest here this weekend on the weekend edition, all the way from Anchorage, Alaska. He's an educator. He's the host of the Get Rich Education podcast. He writes for the Ford Council on Real Estate. Welcome back to the show, Keith Weinhold. Well, thank you, Victor. It's great to be here. You know, I was just on the show with you last month. Fortunately, I wish I were on the show with you for the right reasons today, but I'm not. That's right. Well, this weekend, we're here to talk about something that's been in the news. You live in Anchorage, Alaska, what is, in fact, one of the most seismically active parts of North America. Most people, when you think about earthquake activity, people immediately think of California. But, you know, you've got way more activity in Alaska than they do in California. And you got to experience this firsthand. And that's what we're going to talk about today is that huge, huge earthquake that you guys just went through. So why don't we start with that and just tell us from your own perspective, what did you experience? What happened? Well, first of all, my wife and I live in Anchorage, Alaska by choice. I moved here years ago from Pennsylvania because I like the lifestyle for skiing and mountaineering. But you touched on it, Victor. Most people don't realize that Alaska, in this part of South Central Alaska, in my home of Anchorage, Alaska, Alaska's biggest city, is it is the most seismically active area on the entire North American continent, two to three times the seismic activity of California. And yeah, over the years, you know, we'd have a rumble here or a rumble there. But just last week, we had a magnitude 7.0 earthquake earthquake centered only seven miles north of Anchorage. It was also at a relatively shallow depth, and it rattled homes, and it rattled nerves, and it was an awful experience. And Victor, just last night, my wife and I were awakened again by one of these thousands, I'm not exaggerating, thousands of aftershocks, a 4.7 aftershock woke us up. So it's really rattled us and it's rattled a lot of the real estate that I own locally as well. You know, a lot of people who have not gone through an earthquake uh, have a hard time comprehending what that's like. You know, first of all, I guess when you experience an earthquake like that, how how much is the earth moving? How long is it? Uh, you know, do you run for the for the outdoors? Do you, you know, climb under a table? What do you do? I was standing in the master bathroom vanity shirtless combing my hair, so I felt a little vulnerable. And the event, it was mostly a side-to-side shake with this magnitude 7 last week, Victor. That's how it felt. And you just don't know when it's going to end. It felt like it was about 90 seconds in duration. I knew I was fairly helpless. I just took a couple side steps into the doorway between the master bathroom and the master bedroom so that nothing could fall on me. And you don't know what's going to happen next. You know that you're not in control. You're afraid that the walls of your home are going to split apart when your home shakes that much. And by the way, we do live in Anchorage, Alaska. It was only about 27 degrees Fahrenheit when it struck. So there could be a real problem here. Even if your home didn't fall apart, 
you're getting concerned about infrastructure being knocked out when your home is shaking that long, about water lines being broken, about heat and power being disrupted here in Anchorage. And I don't live in a small town. A lot of people don't realize that Anchorage, Alaska's population is 300,000 people. That doesn't include the population of any of the suburbs. So this earthquake that was a result of tectonic plate movement, that's probably the most common way that a major earthquake takes place, struck Anchorage. And we're also here, Victor, at a sea level. Anchorage is a sea level city. A lot of people don't realize that. So there was a substantial tsunami warning that went out as well. Now, a lot of Anchorage's buildings are just a little bit upland, 50 feet above sea level. My home's at about 100 feet above sea level. So after the earthquake, you also had fear about the tsunami coming next. Wow, that's amazing. I understand that the building code in, in Anchorage is much more stringent than it is in most other parts of the country. You definitely do need to build to seismic ratings. Is that right? Yeah, that is right. So basically because of those stringent building codes, when we you know went around and surveyed the damage first in our home, you know, I was pleased to find, oh my gosh, okay, luckily it's mostly just knickknacks that fell from walls, easy to replace photos that fell down onto the ground. This earthquake is probably really good for a place like Pier 1 Imports that, that sells a lot of knickknacks, which is where we bought a lot of our knickknacks. So perhaps the most remarkable thing with that much shaking for that long is that there were no deaths area-wide, and that's partly a tribute to good engineering and construction standards. So vertical construction, Victor, was largely open. Okay. There is some superficial damage. Now, being a real estate investor, you know, I own properties other than just my home in this area. I own apartment buildings in the area. My worst damaged apartment building is up in Eagle River, Alaska, a community of about 20,000 people just northeast of Anchorage and centered closer to the earthquake. And I really just have largely superficial damage there. It's not structural. It is cracks in the walls of this three-story apartment building that I own in Eagle River, Alaska, that sustained the most damage really just on the bottom floor. So, you know, I might be out about 10K or something like that in going ahead and making the repairs and having the walls be retextured and so on. Well, you know, when we talk about natural disasters, we think about hurricanes, we think about earthquakes, we think about the wildfires that just occurred in California. Yeah. What, talk, let's talk about insurance, because that's usually the, the thing that gets talked about the very next day. Yeah, absolutely. No one's talking about insurance for earthquakes the day before an earthquake. And you can't see an earthquake coming, unlike those other natural disasters. So yeah, all the earthquake insurance discussions happen the day of, the day after, the week after. So a lot of the damage is still being evaluated. I do not own earthquake insurance on either my wife and I's primary residence in Anchorage or any of my local apartment buildings. Not only do I don't own it, even after this event, I will not buy it. Now, first of all, earthquake insurance is not part of your regular homeowner's insurance. It's a separate, standalone, catastrophic policy. Well, why don't I own it? Wouldn't that protect me? Well, first of all, the premiums are somewhat expensive. Like just on our $500,000 home, it would be about $1,750 per year just for the earthquake policy on top of the homeowner's policy. But really, here's the thing, Victor, your deductible amount is often 10% of the property value. So say you have an Anchorage house insured for 500K, your deductible is $50,000. So therefore, only five or 10% of all state carriers, I happen to have all state on my wife and I's own home, that's 
the few, uh, that's the low number that actually carry earthquake insurance policies, five to 10%. Mortgage companies do not require earthquake insurance. And you know, here's the thing, Victor, and I thought that this might happen. Sure enough, shortly after the earthquake, the governor of Alaska declared a disaster. And now I just found out yesterday, yes, a grant program has come in to play. And I haven't looked at all the details of the grant program, but if we discover that there's greater damage, I can potentially put in for relief. So because of the grant program, that makes earthquake insurance an even worse idea. And now I've also done some things to position myself, and this is kind of where you're in investor strategy intersects with a natural disaster. I'm so grateful that I have low equity positions on my properties. All my properties have between 15 and 25% equity in them locally. So, you know, there are, you know, questions of LLCs and recourse or non-recourse, but you know, if the damage were worse, the risk could potentially be transferred onto the bank not me. And the fact that I do have low equity positions means it's easier for me to place my equity in other geographic markets. I own properties as far away as Florida and Panama. So there's really a geographic diversification component to this as well that a lot of people overlook. The greatest risk a lot of real estate investors take is that they're only invested in one geographic market. And maybe you've never considered earthquakes intersecting with that mindset, but that's just another reason. I love that. You know, I think that's a that's a very smart approach. I mean, when we talk about not being insured, what you're really saying is you're electing to self-insure because nobody wants to be financially exposed. Uh, but really, self-insurance means that you're willing to take that financial risk. And it's a calculated risk as opposed to a blind uh, throwing caution to the wind. That You've taken a calculated approach to determining whether the price of that insurance policy is worth the benefit. And that's a very different approach than simply saying, well, I'm not insured at all. That's right. And keeping a low equity position in local properties, well, some people think, well, I don't know, now you're just taking on more debt. No, all my debt is outsourced to tenants. Tenants and inflation erode my debt. And when I have equity removed from local properties strategically, I really haven't lost equity. I've really transferred equity into other markets. So now I have the ability to own more real estate besides be economically diversified. So I have greater leverage as well. But, you know, that's really all in addition to and aside of this greater earthquake conversation. And here's something to be really grateful for in this earthquake, Victor. You're trying to find something to be grateful for. Let's think about some recent world earthquakes that are, were of the same or lesser magnitude of Anchorage's seven magnitude earthquake. Okay, now despite our lower population density, consider this. In 2011, the New Zealand earthquake resulted in 160 deaths. 2009 in Italy, that earthquake resulted in 309 deaths. 2018, earlier this year in Indonesia, 460 deaths. In 2010, in Haiti, there was also a 7.0 magnitude earthquake. That resulted, and this is not an error, 230,000 deaths in Haiti. My point is that Anchorage's recent earthquake resulted in absolutely zero deaths. And that right there is a tribute to construction and engineering and something I am grateful for. Thank you for putting that in perspective because I think a lot of people have – difficulty understanding what a magnitude seven means. Uh, you know, we think about the big San Francisco earthquake 
back in 1989. Uh, you know, that yeah. was broke a lot of the infrastructure in San Francisco, and it's not like they weren't expecting an earthquake. Uh, and of course, Haiti, oh my goodness, I mean, it, it still has not recovered um, the aftermath of that earthquake. Uh, just incredibly, incredibly devastating. What uh, what's happened in Anchorage is exactly that. It's a it's a testament to really good engineering and to really paying attention. What often made the headlines were the images of you know busted up roadway very close to the fault line and so on. In talking with your neighbors, talking with other friends, you know what's been the impact as far as you can see. It's mostly that they've been shaken up and nervous, and I feel the same way because the next time we feel an aftershock. We don't know if we're going into the next biggest earthquake or not. And these aftershocks are, aftershocks are something that seismologists expect to continue for quite a long time. So a lot of it is just getting education out there. Some people just don't embrace information. Now, for example, you know, you talk about neighbors. I went door to door in my apartment buildings to talk to tenants to see if they were okay. Even though I have a property manager, I wanted to get that next level. And, you know, sometimes you feel like there's nothing you can do. But for example, one thing I did in my local apartment buildings is that I talked to the tenants and the tenants were boiling their water. They were going under the municipality of Anchorage recommendation to boil your water because there were dozens of water main breaks and the local utility provider, just as a precaution, wanted to be sure that you boiled water because something exogenous could have gotten into the water supply. And I informed my tenants, for example, at one building, oh, well, actually, you're not on a municipal water supply at this building. Your water comes from a well. So, you know, sometimes there's things with that face-to-face interaction and being informative and being communicative and going that extra level in a disaster to help people where things come up that you didn't even think of telling them that can help them out. So communicate. I love that. Well, Keith, thank you for sharing this firsthand personal story. Fortunately, most of us don't get to experience this firsthand. And thankfully, you and your family and your neighbors are all safe. Thank you for sharing that with me. Anything else you'd like to share with the listeners? Yes, an earthquake will happen again. In 1964, the most powerful earthquake in this entire continent's history struck South Central Alaska. Consider that the Richter scale is a logarithmic scale. Now, it's hard for you to comprehend this, but comprehend that the great 1964 Alaska earthquake, which flattened so much of Anchorage and other outlying communities, was a magnitude 9.2. Which is 100 times... Exactly. It's more than 100 times stronger than the 7.0. That generated a major tsunami decimating outlying Alaskan communities like Kodiak, Seward, and Valdez. And the tsunami from that even caused damage in Hawaii and Japan. So it will happen again to this area. We know it'll happen again to a more populated area like California again. So be prepared and know about some of the right questions to ask. Were there any things, before we wrap up here, were there any things that you did from a preparedness standpoint, just in terms of do you have stockpiles of food, water, things like that, just for that kind of eventuality? We do have backup heat. That wouldn't raise the temperature up to anything near room temperature, but that would keep water lines from freezing. And another thing that I do, um, and this is definitely unusual for a resident of a city of 300,000 people, is 
my wife's water supply by choice, even though we have municipal water here in the city, is I fill up bottles of spring water, these five gallon jugs, and that is what we use as our drinking water. And I always have several of these jugs around. And, you know, I didn't even realize it until afterwards. I want to drink water that doesn't have any chlorine or fluoride in it. And it wasn't until afterwards that I thought that actually this is great emergency preparedness, even though I didn't think about it. So think about some of those essential things. There are a few things more important than water in any type of natural disaster. And are those glass jugs or are they plastic jugs? <laughs> They're plastic jugs that I take to a spring that's about 15 miles south of Anchorage uh, next to this mountain that I go hiking up. And after I'm done hiking, I've got four of these plastic five-gallon jugs that I fill with water and we're constantly used as our drinking water here in my wife and I's home. Well, Keith, thank you again for sharing this firsthand story. And for the listeners at home, make sure you've got things well anchored in your house. In the meantime, have an awesome rest of your weekend. Go make some great things happen. We'll talk to you again tomorrow.